Come on down. Yeah, clap for him. There you go. Encourage him to come on up. There we go. All right. Now, we are missing one today. Um, unfortunately, uh, Miss Ann Ford, I think, is out sick. So uh, we'll get her and embarrass her next week and have her come up front all right by herself. But we got this crew with us today. And so here's what I want to do. I want to let you guys know, first of all, the past three weeks, uh, you know, uh, being out of Sunday school, we, we've been meeting over there, having membership class. Um, and I want to thank I mean, all the guys that filled in, the, the men who, who did that, stepped in, they did a fabulous job. And uh, during our membership class, essentially what we cover is this. Uh, we cover the basics of what it means to be a church member, the requirements that uh, we are uh, not saved because we join a church, but rather we join a church because we're saved. Uh, that uh, our salvation and being baptized to identify with Christ, that we by faith obey the Lord and that we join a local church to uh, submit ourselves to the authority of God's word uh, in all manner of our life and that we choose to uh, covenant and commit ourselves uh, as a promise, uh, not merely to the Lord, but to his people, because if we belong to Christ, we belong to his church. And so we cover that the first week. We give some homework to write out testimony and, and things like that. And it's wonderful to read some of the testimonies here. Uh, well, all the testimonies here. I only say some. That sounds bad. But all the testimonies and, and just to hear how God has worked in their life. And so that's a wonderful thing. So I encourage you to get to know them if you don't know them. And if, uh, you know, if you don't know their story, ask them about it. And they'd love to tell you. It's wonderful to share our stories for the redeeming of the Lord to say so. But the second week, what we cover is our, our beliefs. Uh, it, it would be kind of pointless to join a church if you don't believe what they believe, right? right? It wouldn't make much sense. And so uh, we do this for the purity and the protection of the church and as well as every individual family and believer. Uh, and so what we do is we go through essentially the church's statement of faith, our doctrinal statement, and uh, what we believe, why we believe it. Uh, we go over as well in the articles uh, about what it means to be a church member and what is required here at Victory Way in order to be a church member. And so upon doing that, we answer any questions that they might have. And I think this group didn't have hardly any, so that was good. They, they done good. They at least are in full agreement, or at least they're lying about it good. I don't, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But they say they're in full agreement. We're going to get into that in just a moment here. And then the last week, what we cover is the belonging of church membership. That it's not merely something that you attend. It is not a sporting event. It is not a grocery store. It is not Walmart or Dollar General. This is a body and a bride of which you belong to. And so you belong together as a family. And so that way, what we find is that each member, as we've preached about, talked about, each member has a purpose, has a reason to be here, has something to add and to help edify and build up the body of Christ here. So with all that, what we want to do this morning is in just a moment, I'm going to have them one at a time come. But I want to read for you what they're going to be signing today. Now, what they're signing is what we call our church membership covenant letter. Church membership is a covenant, right? It shows and signifies that we have uh, repented and trusted Christ, that we are now born again into the new covenant, which is found in the blood of Jesus Christ, and that we identify with him and his church. And as well with a covenant, it is a commitment. We think that marriage is a covenant, and it absolutely is. We have to remember as well that the relationship of the church member and the church and Christ is a covenant as well. Christ has covenanted himself with his church and every individual believer. Therefore, every individual believer ought to covenant with a local church in Christ. So with that, here's what our folks are going to be signing today as they seek to join the church and what they're saying. This is, if you will, the vows of church membership. That's the way sort of to, to think about it, all right? Here's what it is. Having been saved by the free gift of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ's atoning death, burial, and resurrection for the remission of sins, and having been baptized in public profession of faith in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
do now agree to covenant membership with the local body of believers, Victory Way Baptist Church. By God's grace, I will personally and publicly seek to fulfill the mission to know Christ and make Him known. By God's grace, I will personally and publicly seek to do my part in fulfilling the vision that Victory Way Baptist Church strives to be a unified of body believers who daily seek to glorify God in our community through genuine worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. By God's grace, I will be committed to genuinely and consistently, consistently worship Jesus both in private and publicly gathered with Victory Way Baptist Church. By God's grace, I will be committed to genuine discipleship by both growing as a disciple of Christ and seeking to see that others are discipled. By God's grace, I will be committed to the fellowship of and with the members of Victory Baptist Church as we all seek to fulfill the mission and vision as a local church. By God's grace, I will be committed to personal outreach with the gospel of Christ and will be committed to the outreach programs done through Victory Baptist Church in missions giving and evangelistic efforts. By God's grace, I will faithfully join myself to Victory Way Baptist Church in obedience to the Scriptures as a member of Christ's Church and in agreement with Victory Way Baptist Church's statement of faith, covenant, and bylaws. That sound good? Now, ultimately, every one of us that is already a member of this church should be seeking to live up to these things as well. And here's what I want to implore you before we have each one come up and, and sign, and we'll have the, the all in favor of such and such joining the church, right? Uh, we'll have that in just a moment, but here's, here's what I want us to do. If you are a church member already, I want to implore you, I want to even beg you, get to know your new believers. Be an example to them of what it means to be a believer. And that's much more than simply just being here. Be engaged here. Be a part of the body. Live up to these things so that they too would desire to see them in their life and to see them in the life of the church. Hey, she's joining church too. <laughs> here's, what we, here's what we see. That each one of us has a part to play in the life of these new members. And what we see is that God is fulfilling His promise, not merely to the universal body of Christ, but to the local body of Christ that He will build His church. And so may we praise God for what He's doing. May we praise God that there's six people, only five with us today, one will be next week, that wants to join this membership. Because that tells us not merely about their heart, but as well it tells about the heart of the church that this is a church that people want to be a part of because the Word is preached, the people gather together in the fellowship, uh, the sweetness of the Spirit, the genuineness of the worship, the discipleship, the fellowship, and the outreach, that this is a body worth being a part of. So I thank God for that. So with all that being said, uh, Miss Joan Prophet, would you come on up here? Y'all give Miss Joan a hand. All right. Miss Joan, I'm going to let you take the pen. And today's date is the 8th of October. You can sign right there. As we do this, as we just said, Miss Joan and likewise everyone else that will come this morning uh, is saying in covenant that they want to be a part of what God is doing here. And so with that, let me ask all in favor by signifying a raising of hands, how many of y'all want Miss Joan to be a part of what God is doing here? All right, you can put your hands down. Any opposed? Well, the eyes have it. How about that? Welcome as a Victory Way Baptist Church member, Miss Joan. We're thrilled that you're with us. Amen. All right. Next up, we got a couple here. Tim and Robin Tudor, y'all come on down. All right. I'll let you each get one, all right? Now, if you need to help him with his writing, you, you do it, all right? <laughs> I've seen his writing. He's got a good handwriting. They both do, actually. 
Uh, matter of fact, Miss Joan did as well. It was beautiful. All right, I'm going to let you guys go ahead and work on signing that. Uh, Tim and Robin have been with us. Miss Joan has been with us for, I think, a little over a year now. So we praise the Lord for that, that she's stuck it out. We haven't scared her off. And I think the past eight months or so, we, we haven't scared Tim and Robin off, and, and we've tried. <laughs> we are thrilled that uh, they are wanting to be a part of the church here and uh, uh, just the way that they have uh, joined in as well. And so with that, uh, they are signifying by their signature that they want to be a part of this local body. Uh, so how about this for this local body? All in favor of wanting and desiring and agreeing that uh, Tim and Robin Tudor join this church as members, signify by raising of hands. All right. Any opposed? Well, the hands have it. How about that? All right. Y'all give them a hand. Welcome to membership of Victory Way Baptist Church. Here's a couple of books there for you guys. Certificates. All right. And last but not least, last but not least, James and Lisa Hutchins. Come on down. Now, James and Lisa have been with the Victory Way for quite some time. As a matter of fact, I learned that James grew up going over to when it was at, at the White Church, right? At the White, White Building. And then before it moved over here. And so they've been here for, I think, about eight years now or so, and uh, finally got around to, to getting to be members. So praise the Lord for that. We're tickled pink that they are here, and so I'm going to let them uh, sign their life away. <laughs> but in so doing, I'm glad that they want to be a part here, and it's been so wonderful and encouraging to see all these folks, and including James and Lisa, to grow in the Lord and to see them get a part and to be a part of all that's going on here. And so with that, uh, they are si signing and signifying that they want to be members of this local body. So, dear local body, all in favor of wanting James and Lisa and agreeing to James and Lisa being uh, members of Victory Baptist Church, signify by raising of hands. All right. That includes both of them. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Any opposed? All right. We're golden. How about that? Y'all give them a hand. Welcome as members of Victory Baptist Church. It's for you guys. Thank y'all so much. And uh, we'll get to Miss Ann next week, and we'll do this all over again. But here's what I want to do. I want to run through the announcements really quick. All right, y'all ready? Read your bulletin. Amen? All right, there's your announcements for the day. Uh, it's pretty simple. Turn in some candy, sign up on some sheets in the back, whether you know what it's for or not, and then show up to what we're having. Amen? And uh, we'll do just fine. Uh, I want to read for us Scripture, Psalm 40, verse 9 to 15, tells us this. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou uh, thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine hand, therefore my heart faileth me. He says, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha. You might be going, What does that have to do with the price of tea in China? Or what does that have to matter to anything? It matters a great deal. Notice what the psalmist says. He's going through a tough time. Everything seems to be coming against him, and yet he stands faithful and he says to the Lord, uh, Lord, I have told of your goodness. I've told of your excellencies and your greatness and your kindness. And he says to the Lord, Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me. Let thy loving kindness and truth continually preserve me. It is the loving kindness, and it is 
It is not only the loving kindness, but it is also the truth of God that continuously preserves each Christian and his church. And so today, much like the psalmist, may our hearts long and yearn for the deliverance of God. And may today we seek such deliverance from our own iniquities, our own sinfulness, the conditions in which we live, and that the Lord would deliver us so that we might glorify Him all the more. That's why we're here today. So let's pray, and then we're going to stand to our feet and we're going to sing praises to the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank You for this morning. God, we're, we're humbled that You would add membership to Your church. We're grateful uh, for the way in which You were uh, building and, and growing and protecting Your body here at Victory Way as You promised to do in Your Word. We pray, God, that you would help us who are already members to be examples, uh, to be engaged in the work of the ministry here, Lord, that we would edify the body uh, that you love and care so much for. We pray that this morning that our hearts and our minds, that every part of our being would be lifted up to you to worship you, to uh, know you, uh, to hear from your word, and Lord, that we might be uh, convicted of sin, that we might be purified, that we might be encouraged, that we might ultimately see Christ and all that we need being found in Him. Lord, I pray that You would do a work in hearts today. Lord, protect Your people, uh, preserve Your people, and Lord, may we call upon Your name now and worship and praise. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Good morning. Praise the Lord to, for the opportunity to be here today. And blessed be the name of Jesus. And if you're able, please stand. If you're able. We're going to sing, It Is Well With My Soul. Hymn number 705. Psalm 55, 18 tells us, He hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. For there were many with me. God delivers our soul, and he gives us peace. This song sings about that peace. Matter of fact, first, the second word says peace in it. It is well with my soul, a beautiful song.
Jesus. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. That excites me right there, boy. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glory. of Calvary. Uh, next song is a beautiful song, beautiful melody, beautiful words, more precious than silver, hymn number 88. Psalm 16:2 tells us, O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord, my goodness extended not to thee. Thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord, and he is more precious than silver.
just sing that again. Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds. And nothing I desire compares with Nothing I desire, nothing I desire compares with you. Amen. To God be the glory. Hymn number 56, Psalm 126.3 tells us that the Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. And he has done many great things for us, most of all saving our soul from eternal burning hell. To God be the glory. <clears throat> to God be the glory, great things he hath done, so loved he the Son who yielded his life and atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory great things he hath done oh perfect redemption the purchase of blood to every believer the promise of God the We're going to get real spiritual right here, right now, okay? When we say the words, praise the Lord, and that's who we're talking to, the Lord. Praise the Lord with your hand being raised as well as singing. We do that four times toward the end of the song, middle and end. When you hear the words, praise the Lord, raise that hand to the Lord, not to me. No, boy. Praise the Lord to Him. Amen. Great things he had taught us, great things he had done, and great our 
but pure and higher and greater will be our wonder our transport when jesus we see praise the lord praise the lord let the earth hear his voice praise the lord praise the lord let the people rejoice oh come to the father through jesus the son and give him the glory great things he hath done amen and amen and before you're seated please uh let's have our greeting time please go around shake hands give somebody a hug and uh, say hello to everybody make everyone feel welcome Come on, Kimmy. <laughs> All right, we have a special now by Larry Davis. Appreciate you, Larry. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you, JL. I was just telling JL about this song. 
Stephen Dalton's mom came to see him. Quite a bit, as a matter of fact. Patricia. Uh, poor wayfaring stranger. And uh, I didn't know there were so many different versions of this thing. I mean, uh, I, I've got the one that she sang. I've got a different one here. And I'm sitting over here trying to figure out which one to do. So I hope I don't get them both tangled up together while I'm trying to sing. But anyway, uh, Wayfaring Stranger. Uh, I had to look up Wayfaring to see what that meant. And uh, it's a, a traveler, someone on a journey, which is where we're at now. We're on a journey. You know, we're just passing through. The lyrics to a song I remember says, uh, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. Treasures laid up down the blue. So uh, this is a song about a wayfaring stranger that's struggling through this old world and looking forward to going home. sickness, no toll or danger in that bright land to which I go. I'm going there to see my father. I'm going there no more to roam. I'm just a go. Over Jordan, I'm just a going over home. I know dark clouds will gather round me. I know my way is rough and steep. just before me where souls redeemed their visual keep I'm going there to see my mother she said she'd meet me when I come I'm just a going over Jordan I'm just a going over Shout! 
Salvation story. That's what Pat always did when she was in concert with that blood wash band. I'm going there to see my Savior, to sing his praises forevermore. I'm only going over Jordan. I'm only going over home. I'm only going over home. I'm only going over Thank you, Brother Larry. I love that song. That's a good one. And especially thinking about what we've sung already this morning, reminding us that uh, this world's not our home and, and we're going to somewhere far greater. Well, this time we have a couple ladies. Uh, or stand up, ladies, that you're here, that you went on the women, uh, women's retreat, ladies retreat, Clear Lake. And then if you wanted to have a testimony, would you come on up? I know we had at least one taker, so. All right. She's going, she's going to take her time. That's all right. What? There we go. Don't yeah, don't leave her hanging. All right. Who wants to go first? Me. I can do it. I don't know. You can stay right there. It's really loud. I am a nervous wreck, so I'm apologizing, but the Lord convicted me this morning. And just worked it out because I was going to go with Tony this morning over the First Baptist Church. So just bear with me because I'm nervous. But it was, it was a weekend I needed. And I honestly think that Miss Melody had been watching over my life the past three weeks because I have been struggling. And the whole message seemed to step on my toes and be about me. It was probably about others too, but it really really spoke to me. Um, it first started off with, she was talking about how her church is sponsoring a Ukrainian family that came from the war. And, you know, they've been taking care of them and they stayed with her. It was the mom and the little boy. Well, it tied into my story because that little boy was at Hillsville Elementary last year. And the teacher he was with was like, hey, this is a Ukrainian refugee. I'm like, well, we just had our Paul Dutka, you know, when he came up on the screen and he talked to us about what was going on in his church and how we could help. And so I asked Pastor Joe, I was like, well, can I give them a card so if they ever need anything, you know, we're here to support them too. And he's like, yes. So I give him a card. And... The mom was so tickled, and she told Miss Melody, Melanie, and that was a part of her story about how Victory Way Baptist Church 
we were, were picking up the side of a cot to help bear each other's burdens. And I'm just thankful that the Lord used me to help pick up a cot. And I'm thankful for my church sisters and my church family to help me bear my cot to my burdens. Well, she drug me up here, and I wasn't planning on saying anything. She's our leader. <laughs> but um, myself, Michelle, Lynn, several others went to hear Miss Melanie Sumney at Hillcrest several years ago. And she was a true blessing then. And I finally got her for our ladies' retreat, and I... I feel like we all came back spiritually renewed. And that's what we've all, that's what I've strived for for all of our ladies' retreats, is to come back and have a feeling that you've been with God. And I can honestly say that I felt like I've been with God this weekend. And one of the things that um, helped me the most is picking up the other, somebody else's cot, and bearing that burden for them, but also letting go of a burden that you're bearing so that you can be a better burden bearer for others. And I've been dealing with the loss of my sister for four years, and she helped me so much be able to lay that burden down and to leave it there, not pick it back up anymore. So I'm, I'm so thankful that we all got to be a part of this retreat and sorry that it was our last one as far as an overnight one, but um, she is going to be having a conference at her church, she will be the main speaker in January, and I'm going to be pushing for us ladies to go because I want everybody else to be as blessed as we have been. Your turn. Uh -oh. <laughs> okay, we, we did well with it. So where we're coming from with the cot was, um, I believe it's this Mark 2. You, know you know the Bible. But anyway, it's bear with me. So... Um, they, some of the friends take a gentleman because he's paralyzed. They take him. They can't get close enough, so they cut the hole in the roof of the building, and they lower his cot down. That's where we're coming from. So our whole um, lesson was about getting a corner of that cot. For some of us, it was getting a corner of the cot. Some of us, it was letting others help you get the cot. Some of us, it was not taking on the whole cot but getting little pieces. So all of us together need to be able to get a cot for all of us, not just the ones that went. Yeah. So we all need to bear each other's burden. Yeah. It was a huge blessing. Back over to JL, thank you ladies. I'm sober. I just don't have good balance anymore. <laughs> and I was telling him I was staggering on up there, and I literally was there. Praise the Lord. Well, uh, 
Go with me, if you will, in prayer, and let's talk to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Dearest Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, for interceding this prayer. Thank you, Lord, for being our mediator. Thank you for being our go-between. We praise you for that. We couldn't talk to our Heavenly Father without you, Jesus, and we just thank you for that privilege and honor. We pray, Lord, that we'd be better students of the Bible. We'd be more fervent in prayer. We pray, Lord, that we'd just be a better, more Christ-like, better Christian in our daily walk. Thank you, Lord, for our new members. Bless them, Lord. Help us to be uh, friends and brothers and sisters in Christ to them. Thank you for our pastor and his wife. Thank you, Lord, for our piano player. Thank you for each one that helps out leading the singing. Help you. Thank you for our sound people, Lord. Thank you for everyone that's here today and always that shows up and shows their faithfulness to you. Can't thank you enough, Lord, for dying for us on the cross of Calvary, shedding your pure, perfect, innocent, spotless body and blood, holy and righteous blood for sinful man. We praise you, Lord, for everything that you are. And, Lord, thank you, Lord, most of all, for dying for us. Lord, thank you for the privilege and honor to be in your house today. We ask, Lord, you continue to help and bless in the singing. And, uh, Lord, and I pray, Lord, you'd bless our pastor as he preaches and fill him with your spirit and uh, a fresh, Lord, a freshness in him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, Lord, we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory. Lord, convict us with your word always. Encourage us where we need encouraging. And help us to live for you always. And help us to always pray in Jesus' name. And we do today. Amen. Okay, if you would, please stand. We'll sing a beautiful song. Show us Christ. John six sixty eight and 69 tells us, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord... To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Show us Christ. Show us Christ, 
All right, what a great day of worship. It's always great to start off adding new members, and I know we don't maybe do it all that often, but I'm grateful for how the Lord has caused us to go about it, and for the souls that have joined today, and as well for next week uh, to have Miss Ann join. Grateful for the songs, the specials, the testimonies. This is what church is supposed to be. Church is supposed to be a time where we gather together, we hear not just the Word of God preached, but we sing the Word of God, we fellowship around the Word of God, we hear testimonies about how the Word of God has impacted us and changed us. And so for those ladies that shared, there's no shame in what you said. 
Matter of fact, it's a beautiful thing and a wonderful thing, and I would say an example and an encouragement to those who might be too afraid or think you ain't got nothing worth to say. If you're saved today, you've got something worth telling. If you're saved today, if you've been born again, you've got something worth sharing. Take your Bible, turn with me to Job chapter 2. Job chapter number 2. Y'all didn't think we'd get through all of chapter 1 last week, and we did, so we're going to get through all of chapter 2 this week too, and a little extra. But today we're going to be looking at sort of part 2 of this series, The School of Suffering, Learning the Lessons and Taking the Tests of Faith. Today's focus is going to be on Christ, the schoolmaster. It is Jesus Christ who teaches us through His suffering and as well through ours. And is ultimately through our suffering that we might partake of His suffering, that we might partake of His glory one day. I'm grateful that as we look at such a difficult passage and at, at, at such suffering and difficulty, uh, sort of what I've noticed the past week from my own heart, and, and I've seen it with others as well as they've talked to me and, and testified to me, that when we get to passages like this, it sort of makes us vulnerable and opens us up. And, and by the way, that's what the Bible's supposed to do. So if you feel that, don't reject it. As a matter of fact, go with it because that means that the Lord is doing a work. Let Him do His work. As we said last week, Though we might be bleeding under a scalpel, it is God who holds the scalpel. It is He who is doing a, a deep work as the physician of every heart and every soul. So I pray, and I've been praying this week, that He would continue to do that work today. Let's read verse 1 through 13. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also, and it came also among them, uh, to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord, and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God, and escheweth evil, and still holdeth fast his integrity. Although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, and all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now. Touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. Let me pause for a moment. Though the Lord might say to Satan, he's in your hand, I want you to know he still remains in the hand of God. Though suffering and trials come and you might feel as if Satan is crushing you, I want you to know you are still being held by the hand that one day will crush and flick Satan into an everlasting lake of fire and torment him forever. Therefore, I will trust God in the midst of suffering. So went forth Satan from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. That means from the tips of his toes to the tops of his head. Every bit of him. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal. He sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. And he said unto her, Thou speakest one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends, it's good to have friends, heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came everyone from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. 
For they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. Those sounds like good friends. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept. And they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him. For they saw that his grief was very great. Let us pray. Father, we come to you and want to thank you for the addition of church members. We thank you for the worship that's been lifted. We thank you for the specials that have been sung, the testimonies that have been given to your goodness and your kindness. Lord, the fact that one day we're going to leave this world behind and go to be with you. And Lord, like Job, we suffer now as pilgrims, but one day we're going to be with you and see you face to face and it will all be worth it. I pray that now that you would lead God and protect us as we seek your word. And Lord, as we uh, seek to hear Christ's word and to see Christ and your glory revealed to us through your, the preaching of your word, I pray that now you would empty me of myself, fill me with you, that you would pour me out, allow me to preach and teach boldly and accurately according to your word, be filled by your spirit, open up every heart today to your word and God that we would receive it today by faith. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are only two responses in and to suffering. There's only two responses in suffering. There's only two responses to suffering. One, we either question God's will and deny His work in it, meaning this, we go, well, where's God in this? He's not in this. There's no way He is. Or the second option is that we accept God's will by faith and trust His work in our trial, despite our trial. We live in spite of whatever we're living in spite of. The issue is that we look too hard to get out of trials when it is trials that are used to get something greater and more glorifying to God out of us. We sometimes miss what God wants for us because we're too busy focused on our circumstances and the pain or the trial that we're going in that we forget the God who is above all, in all, through all, and who holds us fast in His hand. And everything in our life that happens to us will only happen at His permission and it's for our good and for His glory. We begin to seek only answers and we forget that we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. We begin to focus more so on figuring out the what's and the who's and the why's and the where's. And here's how that normally goes. It's not going, Lord, what are you teaching me during this? It's going, Lord, what are you doing? Why would you allow this? Why is this happening to me? Go ahead this morning, raise your hand if you are more righteous than Job was. Is no one brave enough for that? Me neither. Why? Because God says that there's no one like Him, that He's upright, perfect, uh, mature, He's complete, He eschews evil, He fears God. There's no one as righteous at this point like Job is. What it reminds us of is this. That the righteous suffer as well as the unrighteous. And here we live in a world that it seems like the old song says uh, that tempted and tried, we, we're off made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long. While, while we've got folks who are living about us, and they do their own thing, they live wickedly year after year, and yet what are we seeing farther along? We'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand what. When's the farther along? It's not here. It's not on this earth. Here's what we need to do. Is, is that we have to understand is that instead of seeking an answer for why we are suffering, is we simply need to seek Christ, the schoolmaster, that we might learn the lessons and take the tests and that we might grow in faith and that we might glorify Him in the midst of trials. There isn't always an answer for suffering like you think there is. 
We're an inquisitive people. We're a logical people. We're a a spiritual people. And we want to know the answers. And I want to know the answers for everything. But the issue and the fact is this, is that sometimes there's flat out not one that you will ever see or ever know. And to be honest, the issue with our hearts seeking an answer and the reason why is because we go, if I only knew why, then I trust God the rest of the way. That's not faith. That's having God prove Himself. He already has. Look to Calvary. He proved Himself over and over again. Look at the empty tomb. He's proved Himself over and over again. Look at your salvation, who you are in Christ. He has proven Himself. And yet when a tough day comes, when trials come and poor circumstances or bad health or the loss of our everything, what do we do? I want to know why. God, if you tell me why, then I'll trust you with everything else. Faith goes, God, I don't know nothing and I don't need to know it and I'm going to trust you no matter what comes into my life. That's the difference between fleshly, worldly faith and real, genuine faith that simply trusts God and is dependent upon God and has left their life abandoned to God. There is always an advocate in our suffering. Jesus Christ the righteous. Suffering is often unexplainable and the veil upon our eyes, often keeps God's ways unknowable to us. This is why we need faith. If you could think the way God thinks, you would not need faith. If you could see what only He can see, you would not need faith because you yourself would be a God. We are not a God. We are but dust who have been saved and changed and molded and formed and fashioned by the hand of God, by His grace and His love and His mercy. Even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of trials. Dear believer, we need the trials. Our faith needs trials. It has been said by countless people that a faith that isn't tested can't be trusted. Here's what we need to do. We need to stop looking for the answer and we need to start seeking Christ, our advocate. It is through our testing that we learn that if we are actually trusting and who we're trusting in, why we're trusting. Spurgeon put it this way, If we cannot believe God when circumstances seem to be against us, we do not believe Him at all. It is our trials that shows and pulls back the veil about what we really are like. That shows our real faith. Do we trust God because He's good and things are going well? Or do we trust God even when everything is a wreck? Do we still believe that God is just as good then as He is when everything in my life is answered and things are going good, the bills are paid, I've got extra, right? All that. And those days are few, aren't they? And imagine if we only believe God when things are going according to our plan, then we're not really going to believe God for much of our life, are we? The only plan that we can really plan for is that everything will not go according to our plan. But we can rest assured that everything that takes place in your life is on the calendar of God and He knows every bit of it and identifies, Christ identifies in and with your suffering. He bears it. Today we're going to look at a few things. First of all, verse 1-8, through we're going to see Job's mournful, mournful condition. 
Notice this as we pick up. We see this continued conversation in the heavens, verses 1 through 6. There's another day where the sons of God come to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Notice the, the, the fallen angels don't go to Satan, and he gives them a report card and says, oh, well, you get an A today, you get a B today, you get a C today, and go, what are you doing? Go back to the line. No, they all have to report to God because God alone is the one that's on the throne of the universe. It is God alone who is the creator and sustainer of all life. It is God himself who made them to be angels to uh, be used for his purposes, but they fell with the devil as he rejects the Lord and seeks to, to rise higher than God, to be his own God. And that's such a picture of what our sinful condition is like. And the Lord said unto Satan, where'd you come from? Satan answered the Lord said, uh, uh, and, uh, and Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down. That's what he had said before. Well, why does God ask this? As we said last week, he's not asking because he doesn't know where Satan has been. He, he is not unaware of what Satan has been doing. As a matter of fact, he was more aware of it. That, uh, he was more aware of it than Satan even was. And what we find is that he was aware of it long before Satan even did it or thought to do it. Because there's only one in the all of creation in the whole universe that is all-knowing and all-present and all-powerful, and it's not Satan. Our cartoons have taught us wrongly that we think that the devil and God are at are at war and that the one wins a battle and the other one loses a battle. I want you to know God is undefeated. He has never lost, nor will he ever lose. And what we find is that though it seems that the world itself has been placed into the hand of the devil, that it will be short-lived in the grand scheme of eternity. As we move forward, the Lord said once again unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? And he repeats the same thing. There is none like him in the earth, perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And still he holdeth fast his integrity. Here God mocks his enemy and says, you've given it all you got. You took everything from him and he still stands faithful. Nana nana boo boo. Still holdeth fast his integrity. And here's what God says, although thou movest me against him, to destroy him without cause. Remember, it was the Lord who had a hedge of protection around Job. And it was the same Lord who lowered it to allow Satan for a season, and only a season, to go and do his work. First of all, what I want us to understand is remember this, is that this heavenly interaction is veiled by Job, uh, to Job and to us. And as we said last week, if only we could see behind that veil, if we could only see what God has to say about us, and you and I can, by the way, if we're saved, we can know what God thinks about us in Christ Jesus according to His Word, that we belong to Him and He belongs to us, and there's not changing in that position, that He is not going to take away your salvation, you were held in the hand of God, and there's none that can pluck you out. That's who you are in Christ. You are seated in heavenly places with Him, you are dead, buried, and risen with Christ, and that Christ is our life. That's who you are in Christ. That doesn't change. What we often do is because we can't see and know all that God knows is that we start to question what God is doing in our life. Don't let the veil of your eyes veil the sight of God by faith. God is bigger than your circumstances. God is bigger than your hard times. God is bigger than your broken heart. God is bigger than every suffering and moment of it in your life. Now notice Job's advocate. The Lord puts Job's steadfast faith on display for his own glory and advocates for his faithfulness. Notice, it is God who there in this conversation takes Job, if you will, and lifts him up and goes, look at my servant. Look at how he's remained steadfast. Look at how faithful he remains. You took his kids. 
You, you took his fortune. You took everything from him. He's got a couple of servants and a wife and nothing else. And he still praises me. We forget the beautiful song that Job sings. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That was after he lost everything. We find that worship was his response and it should be the response of every individual. Job was described again as perfect, upright, fear of God, askew with evil, and he still holdeth fast. And notice he says that he suffered without cause. Here's the idea. It is that there was nothing in Job's life that God said, you know, I'm going to have to punish Job for that. I'm going to have to take him to the woodshed for this one. I'm going to have to destroy his whole, uh, his whole life. I'm going to take away his kids. It was none of that. Here's the idea of without cause. is that God does not actively send the suffering, but purposefully permits it to dispense His grace and display His glory. Because notice this. God was glorified when Job, when his life was going good. Everything was according to plan. Job was still worshiping the Lord before then. He was still doing good. But notice, notice the glory yet still. God is glorified just as much in our suffering and the way in which we respond. But notice this. You can suffer and not glorify God. You say, how so? If we don't suffer well, we're not going to glorify the Lord because we're just too busy going, woe is me. We have made our problems bigger than our Savior, bigger than the God who holds all things, including ourselves, in His hand. Satan's cause is to discredit God by having Job deny Him. And God's purpose is to taunt Satan, teach Job, and to tell of His own grace and glory through His servant. Here, everything that has just taken place in chapter 1 and that's about to take place here in chapter 2, Satan is the one whose hand is all over it, but it is God who allowed him to go. What we find is that Satan means his work for evil and God means his work for good. Satan doesn't know that he's fighting a losing battle in this. Satan doesn't know that his efforts are being thwarted by God. And what we uh, don't often see is what God's hand is doing, and that's what we're always so curious about. Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? And why? And why? And why? Just simply trust his hand. Job's accuser, Satan, he comes back here in verse number 4 and 5, and here's what he says. He says, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give give for his life. But put forth thine hand now. Touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Here's what Satan says. He goes, hey, you took his possessions. He can get more of those. You touch his health. You bring him to the point of feeling like he's ready to die and even maybe wants to die. Then he'll curse you. Satan accuses Job of risking the skin of others to save his own. Before in chapter 1, he had accused God of buying his worshipers. Satan believes that if Job is touched with disease, then his heart will be touched by doubt. The flesh can be broken, then faith can be broken, and faith shouldn't fall apart just because everything else does. Here's here's what we find. In the brokenness of all of this, the Lord said in verse 6, unto Satan, behold, he's in thine hand, but save his life. Meaning you can do whatever you want, but save his life. Meaning this, whatever your hand finds to do, Satan, you go right on ahead but you can't touch his life. Why? Satan can't kill nobody. Do you know who holds all of life, of all time, in their hand? God. That brings comfort, but it as well brings conviction because we give the devil far too much credit for the ill in our life. 
God is doing a work that we can't see, but we must trust. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and immediately goes down, smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. There's much debate about what the sore boils means, but I can break it down for you pretty easy. It's sore boils. There's a whole lot of folks who want to go, well, it's this or it's that, based on all this sorts of thing. You read through the book of Job. It's pretty simple. The man was covered in open wounds from head to toe. With pus and infection, the boils, the pain. Are you queasy yet? I could keep going. <laughs> all right. Here's what we find. It was awful, wasn't it? I can't imagine this. You and I get a splinter, and, and we're, I mean, nowadays a football player will break a nail and he's out for two weeks. I'm telling you. We think about this. We're soft compared to this. Job is still yet living, but he's in absolute sheer misery. It is a mournful condition because he's lost it all. Job lost his fortune. He lost his family. He's got his wife and a couple of servants. That's it. But his children all died in one afternoon. All of his crops, all of his cattle, all of his sheep, everything died or was taken in one afternoon. But now his fleshly health is gone. Anyone that's ever been sick or in the hospital or have had to have surgeries or have had your life threatened or your family's life threatened by surgeries, procedures, and the sickness that comes with life, you realize how quickly that your health is precious and that it could be gone like that. Here today, gone tomorrow, fine today, and tomorrow I'm laid up in the ICU. What happens when that day comes? Here, Job sits down in mourning and misery as these painful pus-filled sores cover his body and the only relief that he has, and imagine this, the only relief that he gets is by taking a broken piece of pottery and scraping the wounds. You ever been there before? Me neither. But notice this. Job at some point in time had a clay pot, and he used it. It was empty, but it could be filled with things, couldn't it? Well, at some point, this pot is broken. Perhaps Job even breaks it just to seek relief, and he takes now the pieces of that broken vessel to scrape his own wounds for relief. Do not think for one moment, dear believer, that God can't use a broken vessel. Do not think for one moment that a broken vessel in the hand of God cannot be used to rid a life of infection and to offer relief and comfort. Do not think for one moment that you who have sat in misery and in mourning and in ashes covered in boils and sores, if you will, it feels that God cannot use you there. Those are the times where God is using us and preparing to use us for something far greater than what we realize than what we can see. Verse 9 through 13, y'all still with me? I know we got started late, so y'all just hang in there. Next, we see Job's miserable counselors. There's nothing like helpful advice. You ever notice that when you're going through something that everybody else is the expert on that subject matter? Okay, y'all been there before, ain't you? Because matter of fact, most of us have always been someone else's expert in the subject matter. Well, have you tried this? <laughs> Oh, me. We always have those experts in our life, and more than likely, here's what happens. We just get frustrated by them. We go, well, they don't really know all what's happening, do they? And that's the truth, isn't it? 
No one knows how you feel except how you do. No one knows what you're going through except what you're going through. No one knows what you're going through except what you allow the outward life to show. And we're awfully good at hiding our pain, aren't we? We're awfully good at, go. I'm fine, I'm good, I don't hurt. I'm, what's wrong with you? Oh, well, that's terrible. Well, I'll pray for you, sister. We don't want to admit that we've got all sorts of problems ourselves. There's two counselors, really, that come to Job. The first counselor that every husband has is his wife. The first counselor that every wife has is her husband. Because once more, God is showing us the importance of this relationship. As we said last week, if everything in your life falls apart, you'd better make sure that you and your spouse are good to go. You better make sure that you and your spouse are squared away spiritually, emotionally, and that y'all are tight, because if not, then you will lose everything. Here's what we see. She comes along. It doesn't say that she's covered in boils. Perhaps she is, perhaps she isn't. But nevertheless, she comes along and she says unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. What helpful counsel. What faithfulness. But hold on for a moment. We've heard a million messages on Job chapter 2 and each one seems to berate this woman to the point where she is worthless, useless, and an awful excuse of a wife. I want you to know, just a moment ago, just another day ago, just another season ago, and a whole afternoon she got the news along with her husband that every child that she gave birth to and carried in her womb Every child that she nursed, every child that she uh, cared for and, and kissed boo-boos for, perished. And, and not only that, but everything that they own is gone. And that now her husband, who she loves dearly, and the only thing that she's got left in life is her husband. And what we find is that he is in absolute torment and misery. His health is gone. He's on the brink of death from her perspective. How would you respond? See, we need to be careful to not throw a stone so much at Job's wife because we've often heeded her advice. Having become bitter from the loss of her comforts and children, Job's wife becomes a bitter tool of Job's accuser. Here now she's being used as well, but to try to get Job to deny and denounce God. She sees no hope. She sees no hope of physical recovery, emotional recovery. She sees no point in living still in a trust, in a praise, and in a surrender to God because look at where it's gotten and they've lost it all. And now they don't even have health. You do hear old sayings that people say of, well, as long as you've got your health, you've got everything. No, you don't. If you lose your health and you have Christ, then you've got everything. If you've got Christ and you lose your home and your livelihood, if you lose everything and you're hanging on by a thread, but you've got Christ... That's when you've got everything. But health is not everything. Neither is family or fortune. Everything in your life is going to perish and you will not take it with you. Christ is eternal. Knowing Him is everlasting. Here's what happens. Essentially what she says is, look, curse God, you'll die, and you'll, you'll stop suffering. You ever been through such pain where that's you? Your heart is so broken that you just wish that the Lord would either come back or take you home because you can't take it no more? Well, we've been there. 
We just don't want to tell nobody we've been there. But once you, know, you look around, you'll see everybody else, they've been there too. And here this woman is ready for her husband to stop suffering. She's ready to throw in the towel. She wants him to throw in the towel because she knows the moment this happens, we'll die and this will be over. Why? Because there's still a veil that she can't see what God is doing. And the same for Job. She wants the quick way out of suffering, as do we. But Job keeps his faith. He warns his wife here. He says to her, what shall we? He says, Thou, you speak like a foolish woman. And now he's not saying that women are foolish. What he's saying is that the foolish women of the day is that they spoke as fools, that they denied God's existence. They denied God's power, His authority, His control. They said, well, my life's a wreck. Therefore, God must be mad at me or hate me. Or God must not be real. And how many folks have you ever heard in your life that say, well, if God was real and good, then why do bad things happen? That must mean He's not real. No, it's just that you don't see what He's doing. Faith is able to see what God is doing. It's at least, at very very minimum, able to trust what God is doing. But Job keeps his faith. He warns his wife not to question God's faithfulness in the trial and reminds her of God's authority over all things. He says, should we only expect good things from God and, and not expect Him to be uh, in control when everything goes uh, to, to, uh, just to a mess and a wreck? He says, woman... If we trust God when everything's going good, we had better trust Him when everything's going bad. Because if not, then there was no point in that faith that we thought we had when everything was going good. It wasn't real to begin with. Here's how you know faith is real. Because you're able to trust God when your world falls apart. That's where real faith stands. That's where real faith is tested. That's where real faith is grown. But notice, Job did not sin with his lips. He would not curse God. Now his three friends show up to be counselors to them. And notice this in verse 11. They, they make this plan. They come together. They say, look, our old buddy, he's been through the ringer. We've got to go mourn with him and for him. More than likely, as you have, how many of y'all got friends today? Okay, a couple of you. If you're not raising your hand, uh, welcome. We'll, we'll make some friends. All right, we'll find you some. We'll find you a couple. But if your friends are true friends, right? They're there in the hard times, ain't they? Right? We hear phrases like you find out who your friends are, right? And here's what we happen. We find some real friends. They get together. They say, we've got to go help our buddy. We've got to go mourn with him. They would have probably known his family, his kids. They would have known all that he had, and they would have known all the loss, and they would have been there to bear his burden. That's what a friend is supposed to do. It says they lifted up their eyes afar, and they knew him not. Why? Because there's their friend who was rich, and things were good, and life was grand, and he had his health, and now they see a bald-headed man sitting in ashes, covered in boils from head to toe, scraping himself with a pot shirt. And what do they do? They rent everyone his mantle and sprinkle dust upon their heads toward heaven. Then they sit down with him upon the ground. Notice this. Seven days, seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw his grief was very great. There is some grief so great that a word is not going to help a lick. There are some times that the best way that you can help another brother or sister in Christ who is struggling is to not say anything at all. They start off with good intentions. They sat, they mourned, they held their tongue for seven days. Seven days! And some of us aren't willing to give a phone call to someone who's struggling. Seven days they sit, and they sit in silence. It doesn't say they got up and feasted. They brought some snacks, a pack of nabs. They sat there with their friend and mourned for him and mourned with him. And they didn't say a word. Why? Because they knew, I've got nothing that can make your family come back. I've got nothing that can make your fortune come back. 
So I'm going to sit here and let you mourn this sucker out. Sometimes the only thing that can be said is nothing. Famous theologian in the 90's, Keith Whitley. Y'all know who I'm talking about? He said, you say it best when you say nothing at all. That's the truth. When it comes to suffering, sometimes you don't need to go try to be their expert. You just need to sit and mourn with them. Weep with those that weep. Rejoice with those that rejoice. Mourn with those that mourn. Simply be there, dear believer. But notice this. Not only should we be willing, should we be willing to go into mourning to be there for someone, but we had better be willing to let others do the same for us. As a lady spoke of the testimony that not only should we be willing to grab a corner of a cot, but we should better be willing as well when we're struggling that we let someone take our spot and put a hand on our shoulder. They started off good as good counselors. As good counselors here in chapter 2, they didn't say a word. But, <clears throat> excuse me, but in chapters 4 through 25, they say all the wrong things. They turn into bad counselors, wicked counselors. Even God is going to punish and say, Y'all fools! You thought you knew what you were saying. You didn't know nothing. The limited knowledge and understanding and faith of man is seen. Eliphaz, in chapters 4 to 25, it shows that he relies on experience and emotion. He goes, well, in my day, I've experienced this, or here's what I think or I feel. You ever had a counselor like that? I go, well, that's nice. I'm glad you feel that way. You don't know what I'm going through. Here's the next guy, Bildad. He relies on traditions or history, meaning, well, it's always been this particular way, so there must be some sort of issue here. You must have gotten something out of kilter here, that something's not right, right? But we're supposed to be going on the, the way of tradition. Something's, something's off. What'd you do, Job? Zophar relies on moral legalism. Come well, Job, if you just straighten up your act, Job can't straighten up his act anymore. God in heaven to Satan, the accuser, says this man is upright. This man excuse evil. He fears God. That there's none like him. And his friends go, you must got a sin problem. It's all that unconfessed sin you got in your life, so that's why you're suffering. Sadly, too many Christians today believe that the reason why they have bad days and bad times and troubled times is because of unconfessed sin. Now I want you to know, there are some times that the Lord uh, has to chasten us, but I want you to know, chastening is God's hand to chasten us, to bring us back to the fold, to bring us back to fellowship with Him. It is not suffering just for the sake of suffering. God doesn't put you through suffering for, for no reason. It is always for a purpose, a purpose though sometimes that we do not see. But what we find is that all three of these friends that come to Job, they believe that he has some sort of unacknowledged sin Jesus destroys that thought. John chapter 9 says this, And Jesus passed by. He saw a man which was blind from his birth. He didn't have an accident. He was born blind. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents? His disciples go, Well, oh man, that poor guy's blind. Well, Lord, was it his sin that caused it or his parents' sin that caused it? What a foolish thought that is. Jesus answered said, Neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but the works of God should be made manifest in him. I want you to see the real answer to why Job is suffering. It is so that the works of God will be manifest in him. 
It's not because Job has rebelled against God or rejected God or sinned so, so badly against God that he's going, I'm going to take everything from him. It's so that the work of God would be seen. It'd be seen to Job. It'd be seen to his wife. It would be seen to his friends. It would be seen to a region of people who knew who Job was and how Job lived and how Job served the Lord. It's for a testimony. Your trial is for a testimony. A testimony not of your faithfulness, but of His. A testimony not of your goodness or of your strength, but of His grace, His goodness, His strength. Lastly, I want you to turn with me. Job 9. We're going to wrap this up. Job 9 gives us what we need today. Chapter 2 is by way of introduction. This is the message that you need today. This is the message that I need today. Job chapter 9. We have seen his mournful condition. We have seen his miserable counselors. And now we see a missing connection that Job has. You ever been in such a time in your life where everything has fallen apart and you wonder if God is there. You wonder if God even hears your prayer. You wonder why it feels that you pray and it feels like it hits a ceiling and bounces right back. You wonder why you feel the way you feel and why you can't feel some other way and why you can't just break through it and get through it and get over it and get around it, get, get it behind you. You ever felt that missing connection with the Lord where you're like, something is just plumb off. All of us have gone through a time like that. You might be in a time like that right now where you just don't feel that connection that you once did to the Lord. Here's what we're going to find. The answer to Job's problem is not an answer, but it's Christ the schoolmaster. It is the advocate. It is the mediator. Job 9, verse 32. Job says, Speaking of the Lord. For He is not a man as I am. That I should answer Him. And we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay His hand upon us both. Let Him take His rod away from me and let not His fear terrify me. Then would I speak to Him and not fear Him. But it is not so with me. Suffering often seems to sever our connection with God as our trial overtakes us. We find ourselves in a place where our friends and our wife or whoever in our life has counseled us has all the wrong answers. We can't seem to get a hold of heaven and we lay there in misery. We feel all alone and abandoned by friends, family, and even God. You say, I've never felt that way. Well, you haven't suffered long enough. You haven't lived a Christian life long enough to feel that way. The psalmist cried out over and over again. What do you think of the psalms as happy, joyful songs? Jesus loves me. This I know. Everything's great. Amazing grace. No, the psalms, the vast majority of them are, Woe is me! God, why have you turned your face from me? My soul, why art thou downcast? Why is my life falling apart? My enemy comes against me. Everything is against me. I'm in a pit of despair and a miry clay. That's the Psalms. 
Here's what we see. Job is missing a connection between the eternal and the temporal. He is missing what he refers to here as a daysman. Job seems to feel this lost connection with God. He seems to think that his favor with God is gone and that he is left alone. He thinks that him and God were good in fellowship and in communion and in relationship when everything was going good. But now that everything is gone, literally his whole life, his health is gone and his counselors have only told him and dug uh, salt into his literal wounds, if you will. He feels as if, well, now God must be against me. But I can't go up to heaven and talk to him about it. He says he's not a man like I am that we could speak face to face. How do we know? The Bible says no man has seen God and lived. Job can't climb some ladder, knock on God's door, you busy? Walk in. Hey, so I don't know why all this has been happening. If you could tell me, that would really help me out a lot. And then I'd, I'd you know, no, I'll, I'll be back. Okay. He can't make an appointment to go see the Lord face to face. And he says that God is not a man that he could come and stand here to my face. He's God. He's far above. His ways are not my ways. Job doesn't see any heavenly or earthly help being without anyone that can go between God and himself to fix the connection. Sometimes in our suffering, we run to everyone else except to the Lord. You ever sinned and felt that you can't go to God now? Well, it's easy. You can and you ought to. Don't run from Him. Run to Him. The moment sin comes. The moment suffering comes. The moment trials come. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Don't delay. Go to the Lord. You want to know why? Because you and I have what Job was looking for. It says, neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Notice Job doesn't say, if only there was a judge. You know why? Because he knows God is the judge. He says, if only there was a daysman. What is a daysman? The work of a daysman acted as a mediator between two parties. He was an arbiter, a reconciler. Here's what would happen. You have two different parties. Perhaps they're family or friends. They're upset with each other. They've lost a connection. Perhaps there's accusations and things. Here's what they would do. The daysman lived off by himself. He would have had a large house that would have been prepared for those that came to see him for them to stay a while because it takes a while to get some conflict resolved, don't it? You ever been there? You ever had conflict? Right? It takes a while for some things. Here's what happens. The, the two parties, when they would show up, the daysman then would get to work. He was not a judge in the sense that he had some sort of throne and robes and, and legal power to preside over anything, but here's what he did. He acted as a mediator. He got the two sides to talk, and he was the go-between. He was the one that made it possible for the two to be reconnected, reunited, and to set them forth on a better course and a better direction. A daysman is important. A mediator is still used today. We think about this in court systems and in trials and juries and different things that there is. There's mediators that act on behalf of certain parties to try to reconcile them even before you get to the court of agreement. But Job doesn't see that he's got one. Job doesn't see his daysman. Job's got no one on earth that he can go to and say, hey, can you come and talk to God for me? 
He doesn't have anyone in heaven, it seems, from his perspective, from his veiled eyes of his flesh, that he can go and say, can you talk to God on my behalf? Can you represent my cause? Oh, dear church, Job couldn't see the daysmen, but we can. The veil has been rent. The veil is gone. I want to tell you about your daysmen. Jesus Christ is our daysman. Here's what He has done. He came down into the world that He created, formed and fashioned by His very mouth, by the word of His mouth. He put on flesh and humbled Himself, placed Himself in a virgin's womb, prophesied from years and years before. He is born of her. He is nursed by her and dependent upon her. He grows in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. He submits Himself to God's Word. He submits Himself to these earthly parents, one of which is not biologically His. He learns Joseph's, his, uh, his earthly father's trade. He goes through life being perfect and surrounded by those who were His, but they knew Him not and they rejected Him He was the light of the world and He went into the world and the world was made by Him and the world knew Him not. They rejected Him. The darkness comprehended it not. He put on flesh and He walked among us. There at 30 years old, He begins to preach and teach. He begins to do miracles of which only the Messiah, only God could do. He does something that we just read about in John 9 where He heals a man who was born blind which could not happen. If you have an accident and you lose some vision in one eye, well, they can help you nowadays to regain it. But if you're born blind, then it's going to be a lot longer of a road and ultimately you'll never have full vision. But here's what happens in John 9. He gives this man full vision and he came back skipping, jumping, and praising the Lord. Why? Because something that only God could do happened to him. Why? Because God was there in the flesh. And throughout all of these things, though, He would suffer from the moment of His birth to the moment of His death. You say, how do we know that? Because from the moment He was born, His life was sought. The government wanted Him killed. People hated Him and despised Him as He began to preach and teach and even performing miracles and feeding people by the thousands and doing all these things to show and to point others to the Lord and that He had came as the God-man, as the promised Messiah, they go, well, I think he's full of devils. Can any good thing come out of there? Joseph's boy? He would be falsely accused. He would face the agony of being declared guilty when he was not guilty. And here's what the daysmen did. There on the cross, our daysman, with one hand, reaches to God and puts his hand on the Father. And like the daysman of the Old Testament would put his hands upon both parties, one on the other and the other hand on the other, to bring them together, he reaches to humanity and offers his very life's blood so that they would be reconciled to His Father. There on that cross, as His arms are outstretched and the blood flows and His flesh is torn, His body being broken, and there in darkness, three hours upon Calvary, 
while his father pours out wrath and justice and vengeance upon sin, upon his own son, there he stands high and lifted up. The suffering servant. The daysman of the human race. So that we would be reconciled. Jesus does this. And now, after His death, His burial, His resurrection and ascension, what does He now do for us? J.L. prayed it earlier. He intercedes as our mediator. Job had no earthly man that could help him in this. Job could not help himself, his friends, nor his wife could help him. And they got to a point where they didn't want to help him because they thought, well, Job, this is all on you anyways, Hoss. He feels as if he's got no one in heaven, but I want you to know there is someone. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is faithful and true. He sits there at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you, dear believer. He intercedes not merely when you sin. He intercedes on your behalf when you suffer. He is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, but we have forsaken Him. Here we have a daysman that can make it all right. And if you've come to Christ for salvation, won't you now come to Him as your daysman? Won't you come to Him now when you suffer unjustly or wrongly or perhaps when you suffer and you want to know why and you want all the answers? I want you to know you had better start wanting the advocate more than the answers. The answer to our suffering is our advocate. It is Christ, our schoolmaster. Our daysman, Jesus Christ, represents God to man and man to God because He is the God-man. He alone can act as a daysman to mediate on behalf of a holy God and an unholy man. Don't look for the cause of your suffering. Look for Christ in your suffering. 1 Timothy tells us this. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 and 6. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Hebrews 9 tells us this. Verse 11. But Christ, being come and high priest, but the high priest went and he went on behalf of the people to stand there and to, especially as this passage deals with on the Day of Atonement, to sprinkle the blood there on the mercy seat of God, but knowing that he's going to have to go back and do it again the next year, the next Day of Atonement. Here's what we find. Jesus Christ shed His blood on the Day of Atonement, that day, if you will, there on Calvary's hill, there that no blood, including mine and yours, would ever have to be shed. He says he's become a high priest of good things to come by greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once in the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more? Shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, He is the mediator. He's the daysman, the go-between of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, 
they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. There as the daysman, Jesus Christ not only reconciles the two parties, you, myself, and the Lord God Almighty, but He acts as a mediator not merely to reconcile, but I can tell you this, here's how He reconciles us. Colossians tells us this. I'll read it here for just a moment. Colossians tells us, And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say whether there be things in earth or things in heaven. It was the blood of His cross. Not only as He acts as a mediator, but He acts as a substitute, and He is the perfect spotless Lamb who gave His life so that you would have life. So dear suffering Christian today, dear weary and heavy laden, won't you come to the daysman? Won't you come to your mediator? I want you to hear the words of your daysman. We've seen his work of what he did. I want you to hear what he has to say. Because that's what matters here. Matthew 11 tells us this. Jesus is speaking and He says, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you. Learn of Me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For My yoke is easy, and My burden is light. A.B. Simpson said, one touch of Christ is worth a lifetime of struggling. Here's what we need. We don't need a tighter grip. We need to trust in His grip. Don't trust in your faith that often fails. Trust in His faithfulness that never fails. Come by faith to His promise and His Word that He says to you. Notice this. Now go ahead and check this box off if this is you. All you that labor. Today are you heavy laden? Griefs and guilt? He says, I will give you rest. When suffering comes, you know what we want? Rest. <coughs> We say something about times of suffering, don't we? We say, ain't no rest for the weary. But oh, there is. Dear pilgrim of God, with all your trials and all the weight of your suffering and difficulty and the burdens that you bear right now, you have a choice to make today in this moment. You can take your burden, take your weariness, take your tiredness, your unrestfulness, and you can walk out that door and go, whew, all right, well, let's keep going. Or you can lay it down. You can come to your daysman, your mediator, and you can find His promise where He says, I will give you rest and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me ask you, first of all, if you come to the daysman to be born again, have you been reconciled to a holy God? Have you trusted in Christ? Do you have assurance of your salvation today? Are you, not tr are you trusting in His work and not your own? Are you truly trusting in Jesus Christ? Have you been reconciled 
by Him to God. Let me ask you, dear believer, are you bearing burdens that only He can handle? You carrying around a weight that's feeling awfully heavy these days? Grief of loss, sadness, guilt, and shame in the trials and circumstances of your life that only you know. You know it and God knows it. No one else knows it. Will you come and give it to Him? I promise the moment you go to give it to Him, He'll take it. And the moment that weight starts to creep back up again, the moment you go back to Him, and the moment you keep going, notice when He says, come unto Me, it's not a one and done deal. Your salvation didn't solve all your life's problems. It solved your eternal destination. But what He says is, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. And some of us have gotten saved. We came to Christ. We got saved. And then we stopped coming to Christ. And our worlds are falling apart. We're going, well, I thought He loved me. Oh, He does, dear child of God. And He loves you to be with you in the midst of your suffering and to use it for a greater weight of glory that you can't see and that you can't understand and that by faith you don't have to see and you don't have to understand. You just simply have to trust the hand of the daysman in your hand. Do you need rest? Do you see how precious Christ, our schoolmaster, is? I want to read for this and we'll be done. McShane said, You will never find Jesus so precious as when the world is one vast howling wilderness. Then He is like a rose blooming in the midst of desolation, a rock rising above the storm. Will you come to Him today? Let's all stand. This altar's open. If you need Christ to be